This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world. Built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold and this is pain.tv slash gold. I hope everyone is having a fantastic weekend, a fantastic evening, a fantastic day, whenever you are listening to this show. So folks, I took off yesterday. It was a not planned, ladies and gentlemen. That was what, uh, I don't even know what day it is anymore, folks. I think today is what, Sunday? So I took off uh, Saturday, and I did not plan on doing that, but the wife wanted to take Willie G to this little Christmas festival that was going on and so we went there and it turned out to be a bust wasn't really that great so we decided to take willie g downtown this is downtown frederick maryland uh old old downtown really nice though they built it up over the years of some nice restaurants and stuff so there's a creek that runs down through the center of the downtown and every year uh during the christmas new year season they get companies to sponsor these little boats you know they're probably 20 feet long and they're designed just like you do uh, would do with a float in a parade and so each boat is made by the uh, sponsor company and there were some really cool ones this year there was one with a big octopus climbing up on the boat there was a pirate ship all kinds of really cool stuff so we took willie g down there in his little santa hat that's got uh, my first christmas embroidered on the white fur that goes around the uh, bottom of that uh, santa claus hat so it was great folks we took him down there there was christmas carolers out there there was about 20 in the group i put it up over at twitter at hackable animal and only three ladies in the group had masks on so that's not bad three out of 20 around here that's pretty much what you see about uh somewhere between 10 and 30 percent of people wear masks depending on the uh on the day i think it all depends on what fauci or the government or whatever they're 
personalized propagandists that they're listening to on radio or TV tells them to do. But uh, yeah, he got to see the carolers, which was nice. And then my wife and mother-in-law and I, we snuck off to get some ice cream at Frederick Fudge and Ice Cream. Really good deal. Best ice cream here if you're in uh, Frederick. And so we went over there and had some ice cream. And Willie G can't have ice cream yet. But he drove up to the uh, McDonald's uh, to Maggie's drive-thru window where she lifts up uh, her special shirt there, pulls out one of the boobs, and Willie G had some cold milk because it was a little nippy yesterday, folks. So that's what we did. And then today... I'm uh, recording earlier than I normally do because we're going to go to another Christmas festival and get Willie G a picture with Santa Claus. I hope it's one of the guys that has the real white beards. I've been seeing more and more of those guys out here instead of the ones who wear the fake beards. And so we'll get a picture with Santa Claus. I'm kind of torn. been talking to the wife about this. I grew up believing Santa Claus uh, was real, right? And I think, I don't know, five, six, seven years old. Is that when you find out it's fake? It's the first big lie perpetrated on you uh, as you come up that there is this guy with a white beard and a red suit who comes down the chimney i guess except for those people that don't have chimneys i never knew how santa claus got into those homes did he come up through the uh, plumbing exhaust pipe uh did he come up through the actual plumbing in the ground did he come up through the toilet I don't know how Santa Claus got into those houses. What happens to the kids who don't believe in Santa Claus? Does he visit them? I never could figure that out as a child. But I remember it was devastating when you first realized that Santa Claus is not real. And as you get older, you say, well, I can understand the government has lied to me about everything because my parents were lying to me about Santa Claus. So my wife grew up in Poland, uh, and when she was a child, up till she was about 8, 9, 10 years old, it was communist Poland under control of the Soviet Union. She said there was the story of Santa Claus, but there were no Santa Clauses hanging out in the mall or anything like that. But you heard the story about Santa Claus. So I'm deciding, I mean, we're deciding together, do we want to make uh, this story of Santa Claus coming down the chimney with his magical reindeer something that Willie G is lied to about and is going to be forced to believe in, and then at five, six, seven, eight years old, you're going to have to tell him that it wasn't true, we lied to him, or do we just make Santa Claus a symbol of Christmas? Because obviously you have two sides of Christmas here. You have that guy, what's his name, Jesus, his birthday, and then you have sort of the Norman Rockwell Americanized uh, version of Christmas with the Christmas tree, and we got a Christmas tree yesterday, by the way. We're going to decorate it when we get back uh, from this little Christmas festival, so we're going to decorate that. My wife has the wreath up. She got all of her Christmas props out, so everything looks really nice, ladies and gentlemen. A little Norman Rockwell Christmas, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine Podcast on Fridays would be happy because that's what she's been doing the last week just cracking the whip she's got her husband Nick uh, climbing up on ladders putting up lights you know all that kind of fun stuff so that's what we're going to do we're going to decorate the tree when we get back and then we're going to make a decision over the next year I think we're leaning towards just making Santa a symbol of Christmas like a Christmas tree and not lying to him and saying that a guy named Santa Claus climbed down the chimney it's going to be very difficult to get this young to believe me 
as I start to introduce him to the real history of this country and the world and the world in which he's going to have to live in if I start off by lying to him. So I don't know. I'd like to get your opinions on that. Reach out on Twitter. Reach out via email, gold at pain.tv, or reach out over at pain.tv slash gold. And if you guys want to send a Christmas gift my way, you can join pain.tv slash gold it's a great gift to yourself as well folks mike moore and the young bucks did a great job building that system a couple of years ago i was part of helping come up with the architecture for it it runs like facebook it's a mobile application and a website it's always getting better every day you can meet like-minded folks share information learn from people educate others it's a great thing and it's eight dollars and 58 cents a month and if you sign up at pain pain.tv slash gold i get a little cut of that action so i can put some christmas cookies on the table over here if not if you don't want to join and you'd like to just help out here you could drop a donation at donorbox.org slash dustin gold show few people have done that not many folks but as mike has been saying over at his show the thomas Paine podcast the regulators the uh technocratic prison planet wardens that we need to interact with to be able to put out our content whether that be on apple podcasts google podcasts amazon podcasts spotify pandora all of these types of things, iHeartRadio, et cetera, et cetera, and running it through our syndicators like Megaphone. And then on the video side, we're going to be putting out stuff on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and BitChute. You have to deal with the technocrats, folks. I mean, people say to me all the time, put your stuff at Rumble. Rumble has a major investment from Peter Thiel. I talk smack about Peter Thiel all the time he also has a major stake in spotify which is the main syndicator so we have to deal with these folks so if you'd like to leave a donation because we're going to have to start to ask you to begin putting a little uh a little skin in the game folks and helping support these shows because we can't rely 100 percent on these ad networks uh, i know mike's been talking a little bit about that he's got a lawsuit going with spotify or is about to have one it gets complicated and every time you have to do that it's another speed bump it's another roadblock and it just becomes counterproductive and so if you want to do that and send something our way it's donorbox.org slash dusted gold show and that will get to me i've used that service with other podcasts that i have produced in the past and it works well until it doesn't and then we'll change gears so join pain.tv slash gold and or leave a donation over at donorbox.org slash dustin gold show and if you can't do that folks just leave a five-star review at apple podcasts and a comment or whatever other podcast syndicator you are listening to this show on because it really does help us all right folks so when i get done with this show taking off to the christmas exhibition we're going to get a picture with willie g and santa claus all right i'm not even going to charge santa to take a picture with the little guy but i'll put that out on facebook and over at uh, twitter if it looks good it all depends willie g's got to look like a champion you know what i'm saying so we'll do that and we're going to come back decorate the tree make some uh, hot chocolate i'm going to make real hot chocolate you know with chocolate mixed with milk cooked up on the stove and then i've got a loaf of bread ready to go for tonight to eat with some salmon we got to eat some fish folks we've been eating a lot of pork and beef lately 
All right, so what we're going to do on today's show, folks, because we're moving forward here into universal basic income and CBDC, picking up where we left off. I had an um, in-depth conversation with Wide Awake Jim. I think that was Friday night. And so I told him what we've been working on here because he's been so busy doing the research for his upcoming appearances. And a lot of the research we're doing is starting to cross over, which is great because we want to be able to tie those together with what he's researching from the Bank for International Settlement side and what we've been doing over here through the uh, open source intelligence, white papers, and articles, and we're going to put all that together, start to figure out when this stuff is coming and how we can start to work around it. So I'm going to continue with that tonight. If you noticed yesterday, because I couldn't do the show, I decided to rerun episodes 80 and 88. Those are the two shows where Wide Awake Jim came on. So hopefully if you didn't listen to those in the past, you had a chance to listen to them and then you're all caught up. And I'd recommend listening to episodes, I think, 96 through 102 if you want to learn about central bank digital currency, universal basic income, et cetera, because that's all going to tie together. So what I want to start with tonight, I put this out on Twitter over at Hackable Animal, but this is important, and this is just a small list. What I am starting to do is some research into universal basic income and all of the influential billionaires and technocrats that are behind this system and then it obviously brings the question to the forefront why the hell would the billionaires and technocrats that want a system of total control want to give you so-called free money right free money so let's just take a look at this list and on top of this i'll just say so i found elon musk big pusher of universal basic income I told you that he backed Andrew Yang, Democrat candidate for president in 2020, whose whole campaign was based on universal basic income. Uh, We have Mark Zuckerberg backing universal basic income, Richard Branson, Peter Thiel. uh, All sorts of technocrats are behind this idea. Silicon Valley's behind this idea. So you have to start to say to yourself, why would the guys that are working to build the prison planet matrix want to give me free money is it because they love me all right so i'm over here now at wikipedia and this is a list of advocates of universal basic income and folks this is just a few this is just a few because i found articles now uh we shared one the other day with jack dorsey co-founder of twitter who actually funded with 15 million dollars a universal basic income project now before i get into this list i want to tell you there's some research i've been doing myself i've read a lot of articles on this i'm not going to share them all because some of the information gets uh to be redundant but what these guys are talking about internally some of the wealthy folks is that with automation robots and artificial intelligence coming and more people being displaced from the workforce they want to pay us a ubi as a bribery to keep us from burning their homes down uh momar Gaddafiing them on their front lawn showing up with pitchforks and muskets all right i'm serious about this they actually have talked about this in certain meetings um some of them stick to the script that they need to pay us almost like a commission a royalty that you would get if you lived in alaska and you got a piece of the oil money 
which they do. They want to pay us a percentage of what the whole system makes because they're going to replace us with artificial intelligence and robots. But if you go back to the original Technocracy Incorporated documents, this is why we covered them, coming out of the 1920s and 1930s, that's what the whole system was, where you were only going to have to go to work 14 hours uh, a week. And then you were going to get supplemented with these energy certificates. You were going to get your equal allotment as everyone else. But you'd only have to work a very small amount of time because they were going to build this system of abundance based totally on technology. Uh, Back then it was mechanics and robots and stuff like that. So that's all they're doing. We have just moved forward 100 years. It is further ahead. There's more technology that allows them to actually manage a system like this, unlike in the past. So that's what we're looking at. I've researched this a lot over the last couple of days. I probably read, I don't know, 40, 50 articles on this and lots of quotes from lots of different technocrats and they are on board. And you have people from the Republican side of the aisle, the so-called Democrat side of the aisle, all lining up to push universal basic income, which will be tied Uh, It will be distributed through central bank digital currency, which is a system of programmable and expiring money, as you would know if you listened to the last few episodes. Folks, when I get back, let me go through this list, and then we're going to start to get into um, this uh, Biden administration uh, move to push forward with CBDC. Then I'm going to bring in the company Consensus that we've been covering here that's owned by Joseph Lubin, former partner of Vitalak Buterin who was funded by Peter Thiel to launch Ethereum in partnership with Joe Lubin. It all ties together, folks. All hands are on deck. All the technocrats are on board. I'll be back in a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Have a Christmas cookie and a sip of hot cocoa or apple cider or whatever you have around. Whiskey, I don't care. Just take a break. Kick your feet up, and I will be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, my mere mortal humans. Let's go through this list, folks. I'm serious. I want to go through this. I wasn't sure when I came across it if this was Santa's naughty list or it was a list of uh, the technocrats that are supporting universal basic income. All right, let's go through this. We have Aisha Nyanandaro, CEO of Springboard to Opportunities, founder of uh, Magnolia Mothers Trust. And again, this is just the United States and Canada list of people supporting UBI. All right, and this isn't a complete list because I found articles with many others who have made comments about this. You have Carl Witterquest. He's a political theorist and economist. And I, and I want to read these to you because I want you to see what a wide uh, range of folks are behind this. 
Peter Barnes, entrepreneur and environmentalist. Keith Ellison, Attorney General of Minnesota. Excuse me, former U.S. Congressman and former DNC Deputy Chair. Whole story on Keith Ellison. I don't need to get into that right now. James Baker, former U.S. Treasury Secretary. Peter Diamond, 2010 Economics Nobel Prize winner. Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter. Martin Fieldstein, or Feldstein, former chair of the U.S. Council of Economic Advisors. Henry Paulson, former U.S. Treasury Secretary. Robert Reich, former U.S. Labor Secretary. Greg Manicu, former chair of the U.S. Council of Economic Advisors. George P. Schultz, former U.S. Treasury Secretary. You see this? You got all these uh, bureaucratic banksters on board with this, folks. They just want to give you free money. Free money. Come on down to the UBI trough. Curtis Sliwa. Oh, you know him. Activist, radio host, and Republican nominee for the 2021 New York City mayoral election. Curtis Sliwa's famous for wearing the red beret. He's one of the, uh, what are they called? The Guardian Angels. Big friend of Sean Hannity. Curtis Lee has been a talk radio host for a long time, so he's on board with this, folks. Ted Halstead, political entrepreneur. Pierre Amadiar, founder of eBay. I read a lot about him last night. Eric Olin Wright, a Marxist socialist. So you've got a Marxist socialist and a guardian angel. Yes, folks. Yes, you do. You got Andrew Nigg, computer scientist, statistician, and artificial intelligence researcher. You have Tim Draper, a venture capitalist. Sam Altman, Y Combinator president. Now, I showed you Y Combinator is one of these big investors, incubators of technology tied to NQTEL. That's the CIA's venture fund. You have Chris Hughes, co-founder of Meta Platforms. Dan Savage, he's an LGBT activist. You have Charles Murray, libertarian political scientist. Bill Gross, a financial manager. Robin Chase, co-founder of Zipcar. Yeah, Zipcar, remember that? Fits right into the technocracy. That's where you live in a city, you don't own a car. But on an app, you can book a car, run over to a parking garage, pick up your car, use it, come back, and you pay for the time it was used. All right, we have Andy Stern, former Service Employees International Union president. That's SEIU. Several episodes ago, I told you how I battled SEIU in the city of New Haven, Connecticut. But Andy Stern, I read an in-depth article, which I was going to cover here, but I decided it just really wasn't worth your time. But it was quite interesting because Andy Stern, this big, big labor guy, he has just caved. He said, forget it. We're going to go with UBI. And he talks about how all these service workers have been pushed into the gig industry. And the gig industry will prove to not provide them with enough money as i've told you about many many times on the dust and gold standard and so the gig workers are going to be a great target for universal basic income so andy stern has actually been working alongside the big companies he supposedly was battling like walmart 
and the rest of these folks out there working with other countries and really pushing for universal basic income. So there you go. Big labor on board. You have Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. And and let me say one other thing about Andy Stern. He is so impressed with robotics and artificial intelligence and machinery. He says it's amazing how much they could produce. They were able to pull this off a lot faster than people like him could actually organize the labor movement. So he stands in awe of technology he thinks it's amazing and so they could just have the robots produce everything and then give everyone else universal basic income remember folks i mean seriously you have to listen to my episodes on the history of technocracy in particular the energy certificate because this is all explained this was uh, a model that was developed 100 years ago out of columbia university you're just seeing it come into action now you've got elon musk of course you guys know who he is It says here he's a business magnate. I say he's a psychopath. Uh, Right here, Ryan Holmes, Hootsuite CEO. Hootsuite is a company where you can plug in all your different social media accounts and then schedule your tweets and Facebook posts to go out of there. You've got Joe Rogan, American podcast host, right? He's on board with Universal Basic Income. Uh, Again, folks, you'll sit there and say to me, oh, these people are doing this because they love us. You know, they just want us to be treated. They're driving you into the hands of your slave masters. That's what they're doing. You have Paul Valley, the uh, Pethian Group CEO. You've got Naid Ninchi, mayor of Calgary. Don Iveson, mayor of Edmonton. S. Robson Walton, that would be probably Sam Walton, former Walmart chairman. See, he's on board with this along with Andy Stern, former head of the SEIU union. You've got Andrew Yang. Obviously, he was funded by Elon Musk for his 2020 presidential run. He's founder of Venture for America and uh, 2020 Democrat presidential candidate. You have Tulsi Gabbard. People love her. They wanted to jump from Trump over to Tulsi Gabbard, former U.S. representative for Hawaii. 2nd Congressional District and a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate on board with universal basic income. You've got Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Meta Platforms. That's Facebook, folks. You've got Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon. You've got Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft. Oh, the guy who loved to run around and stick you with jabs, folks. Yeah, he's on board with universal basic income. I definitely run into his welcoming arms there with his creepy little Mr. Rogers sweater talking like uh, a demented Kermit the Frog. Hey, everyone, if we could get our new vaccines working appropriately, uh, we could lower the population by 10 to 15%. Yay! Plus, I'm on board with universal basic income. Of course, for those of you who are allowed to live. Hmm. You've got Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. You've got Larry Page. He's co-founder of Google. Oh, my God. All of them, folks. You've got Ray Kurzweil. He's the American inventor and futurist. I think our first two or three episodes of the Dust and Gold Standard, episode one, two, and three, were all about Ray Kurzweil. He's the one who wants to put a brain chip in your head and upload your consciousness to the cloud and then combine each person's consciousness into what is called an AI hive mind and then be able to beam that down into a silicone neocortex 
cortex that will sit on top of your brain as a third layer of your brain and you'll be able to live forever this guy literally sticks himself with jabs and needles to try to live forever until he can get to the point where he can put nanobots inside of his body to repair it and then he can take his brain which is uploaded in the cloud and beam it down into a nanobot iron man suit uh, or a new biological body like a baby that they would breed inside of a synthetic womb he is the chief engineer at google by the way that's ray kurzweil very interesting character we started the whole entire series the whole podcast with him you have Neil deGrasse Tyson, American astrophysicist. You guys know who he is, TV scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm bored with Universal Basic Income. You have Penn Gillette, American magician, actor, television presenter, and author, good friend of Glenn Beck. He's on board with Universal Basic Income. You have Jeremy Rifkin, American economist and social theorist. You have Eric Brinoshson. I don't even know how to pronounce that, ladies and gentlemen. He's an American author and inventor. You have Andrew McAfee, American research scientist. Timothy Leary, candidate for governor of California in 1969. Yeah, he's the LSD acid guy. You have Eugene McCarthy, candidate for president of the United States in 1968. So they've got people of the past in this list, too. You have Peter Diamandis. He's a Greek-American entrepreneur. Albert Wenger, a German-American businessman. Guy Karen, Canadian politician. Peter Valentine, American academic. Hillel Steiner, Canadian political philosopher. Ben Gordzell, American AI researcher. Michael Tubbs, we learned all about him from the Washington Post article. He's the 79th mayor of Stockton, California, later special advisor for economic mobility and opportunity for Governor Gavin Newsom. You've got Aja Brown, 18th mayor of Compton, California, initiator of the Compton Pledge. We learned about that. And we have Edward Snowden. American whistleblower, ladies and gentlemen. Edward Snowden has joined the list of folks for universal basic income here. And there's more to this list. We know about the Chinese-American billionaire who owns part of the L.A. Lakers, whose daughter is running one of the UBI experiments. And then I was doing a little research on our old friend Yi. I know Mike Moore and Maria Albanese talked about Yi there, Kanye over uh, at the Thomas Paine podcast on Friday, trying to figure out that op, what his purpose is. I guess he showed up on Alex Jones's show with a mask over his head. Mike Moore was having uh, difficulty thinking something was wrong with the stream because his face was blurred. And it turned out he had a mask on. And Alex Jones had him on. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I wonder if they talked about UBI. But Kanye is for universal basic income. So we'll see if that comes up in his new, uh, obviously orchestrated public relations campaign. It would have been great to hear Alex ask him, are you for universal basic Look, I'm not going to give out universal bone broth and penis pills to everyone. I'm not going to do it. Those are only for special customers who order now. Three bottles for the price of one. No, I mean, seriously, folks. So you've got you've got all these folks. And there's many, many, many more folks. You've got Sir Richard Branson uh, in this list. We know that he has uploaded his consciousness to the cloud through Artificial Intelligence Foundation owned by Lars Butler. We covered that in depth on the Dustin Gold Standard. So all these folks right here, 
on Santa's naughty list. They want to give us UBI, folks. I want to give them a nugget of coal, ladies and gentlemen, a nugget of coal. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard, folks. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain tv slash gold all right folks so what do you think about that all the folks on santa's naughty list just a wide-ranging group of people that want to give you free money ladies and gentlemen it's because they love you i know bill gates does and kanye and jeff bezos mark zuckerberg peter thiel all these folks they just love us they just love us, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff Bezos, he wants to give you universal basic income. How about just give me uh, 50% off on Amazon at all times? How about that? Just give me uh, a free $1,000 a month Amazon gift card. If he wants to take care of us, he can start right there, ladies and gentlemen. He can start right there. All right, let's take a look at this. This is theguardian.com, and this article is... It's six years old, folks. It's from May 2016, but I want to just show you this has been in the works for quite a while. And this article is titled, Tech Billionaires Got Rich Off Us, Now They Want to Feed Us the Crumbs. And this is by Ben Tarnoff. And as I said, I've read probably, I'm guessing almost 40 articles on universal basic income. Once something is locked onto your radar, then you know what to dig for, what to look for. And you can start finding all sorts of articles. Like I said, I read one on Andy Stern, former head of SEIU, big labor organizer. This was an in-depth article. I think it took me 25 minutes to read it, and I was cross-referencing things, making sure they were true. And so I I decided, as I said, I'm not going to cover it on the show because it's a little too much, a little too in-depth for you folks. But I want to read you this one. It says, in a future where robots take our jobs, the tech elite see universal basic income as a fair exchange. But don't forget, their wealth came from what we provided. All right, again, this is May uh, 2016, six years ago. It says, every month, nearly 20% of the country gets a Social Security check. What if that number were 100%? What if the government gave everyone an income? Now, Let me just point this out to you. Uh, For those of you who don't know this, you should, but sometimes it's best to point out common sense. So let's say here back in 2016, one-fifth of the country was receiving a Social Security check. Now, forget about disability. Let's just say Social Security. When you retire, and I I don't even know, it's uh, my father went through it, I don't know, it's somewhere between 62 and 66. You can earn more depending on when you retire based on if you let it build up more. 
But anyway, the idea is this. The government takes money out of your check, whether you work for yourself or, I'm sorry, if you work for an employer or if you work for yourself, you pay in to this system. It's forced. It was put into place in 1936 under Franklin Delano Roosevelt as part of the New Deal when they tagged everyone with a social security number. And then they told everyone that they were going to take your money and then basically set it aside, invest it properly, keep it in a trust fund, which does not exist, by the way. There is no trust. Uh, And then they're going to pay that back to you when you hit retirement wage in the form of a monthly check, which is no longer a check. It's now a direct deposit, soon to be replaced by central bank digital currency. Oh, just mark my words on that. I already see the writing on the wall. All right. So anyway, One-fifth of the country gets this check because they supposedly paid into the system, although we pay out more than what was taken in anyway. But now what they're saying is, what if 100% got it? Well, where is the 100%, uh, the additional 80% on top of the 20% going to get a Social Security check if they never actually paid into the system, right? How about you just stop taking the Social Security tax out of our check? Let's start there. How about you stop with the federal income tax? Let's just start there. Stop taking people's money, number one. That would be a great start. Close the Internal Revenue Service down. Let's start there. Let's start there, and then we'll have a discussion about what else you want to give us in exchange for our personal freedom, our liberty, and our human autonomy. How about we start there? Just stop taking our money. All right, let's continue. It says, that's the premise, talking about giving 100% of the people Social Security. That's the premise behind universal basic income, an idea with a long and surprisingly mainstream history. Its popularity last peaked in the 1970s, and now, after a relatively dormant few decades, it's making a comeback. Pilot projects have been announced in Finland, the Netherlands, and Canada. This summer, Swiss voters will vote in a referendum that could give every adult about $2,500 a month. So what I'm showing you is that um, this whole thing is making, uh, you know, it, it. what we're seeing today has been in the works for a long, long time. Just like technocracy, just like transhumanism, going back to eugenics, it's been in the works for a long time. It's not new. They're just rehashing it, and they're waiting for opportunities that they set up to introduce these things and get them to be adopted, like COVID land, the high school theater production. Now, we talked about there how he, he made a... Uh, It had a uh, popularity peak in the 1970s. That's when the oil embargo and stuff was going on. And we're going to get into that with Farmer Carol. She is the farmer who we buy a lot of our organic vegetables from. I just had an in-depth conversation with her yesterday, getting her ready to come on the show. And she talked about how she got into this idea of community supported agriculture in the 1970s that's when she learned all about it and then she launched her farm when she was 50 years old one of the most interesting women i've met folks so we're going to have her on the show soon and then there is someone from the pain.tv slash gold community on twitter who i believe is a rancher who i reached out to and i think they're going to come on the show i've got their phone number i got to call them do a little bit of a screening call, and then we'll set that up as well. Those will be part of our solution shows. All right, let's continue. It says, these proposals aren't much different from those floated 40 years ago. 
What's new is the reasoning behind them. Basic income's current revival is driven by fear of technology, specifically the fear that robots and software will take our jobs, creating a massive social crisis that only UBI can solve, and nobody makes the argument more influentially than the tech industry elites who have become UBI's most prominent and most powerful supporters. Now, let me point this out, because this is what happens when You have journalists who don't understand the context, who don't know the history. When they're talking about here that this current iteration, talking about 2016, but really going all the way up into 2022 now, is based on this fear that robots and software are going to take our jobs, right? That was the same exact uh, foot in the door that they used coming out of technocracy incorporated going back to 1919 through uh 1935 when they were writing about this stuff and the energy certificate in particular which was essentially a universal basic income because everyone in the country would be provided with the same number of energy certificates your energy allotment and you really have to listen to those shows if you want to understand how that stuff works folks maybe what i'll do is this week i'll re-air some of those episodes so you can catch up if you haven't listened to them yet but you want to find the episodes on technocracy and on uh, energy certificates but the idea back then is the technocrats who were the scientists the engineers and the technologists were saying that all these job shortages this is a hundred years ago were coming and we're already here at that point because of the industrial era boom and the advent of machines that had taken a lot of the jobs it started to automate a lot of the blue collar jobs and therefore the only people that could responsibly run the country or what would they they would call the technate which was a territory from panama canal up to the north pole were the scientists and engineers who were responsible for the industrial era boom. And so now they would be in charge of the whole country and they'd run the entire country like one big machine uh, based on this currency of energy. So the same cell that they were using back 100 years ago is what they're using today. So just so you understand, the marketing did not change, folks. The marketing did not change. It's exactly the same. Except now, 100 years later, we have a lot more people, and we obviously have a lot more advanced technology. It goes on to say, quote, Silicon Valley's basic income bromance, end quote, the writer Lauren Smiley calls it, a group of venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, engineers, and futurists who together form an informal and extremely well-financed advocacy network for universal basic income. And that's why I started off with the Santa's naughty list there. So you see some of the people that they're referring to. Most famous are Sam Altman, president of Y Combinator, a startup incubator that recently announced it would undertake a major study on basic income. We just talked about Sam Altman, tied to NQTEL, the CIA's venture firm. We have Albert Wenger, a venture capitalist who writes a widely read blog, and Peter uh, Diamandis, best-selling author of books about the future and co-founder of Singularity University. Now, Singularity University, that ties back into Ray Kurzweil as well as Peter Thiel. Singularity is the point in which man 
is forced to merge with machine when artificial intelligence surpasses that of human intelligence and therefore humans are forced to merge with artificial intelligence in order to survive okay that's what ray kurzweil preaches peter thiel was funding singularity university and the singularity institute going back to 2006 all right so there you go you've got peter diamandis best-selling author of books about the future and co-founder of singularity university so you have the technocrats backing this as well as the transhumanists because the singularity university and singularity institute is really really a great example of what i call technocratic transhumanism those are the technocrats and the transhumanists the merger of man and machine is this technology merging with man all underneath this transhumanist idea which is a transitional human that's these guys that want to transition from human into what they call post-human all right so these are the kind of folks that are behind universal basic income So anyone who's getting on board with this idea is behind the ideas coming out of the initial technocracy incorporated 100 years ago and on board with the technocratic transhumanists that are pushing it today. So any of your friends and family that say they want this, just tell them you are selling out your long-term liberty, your freedom, your human autonomy for short-term perceived gain. You are literally selling your soul uh, to the technocratic transhumanists. You can call them Satan. You can call them the devil. You can call them Beelzebub. You could call them anything you want, folks. At the end of the day, you are selling your soul to them because you will be tracked, you will be monitored, and you will be told what you can buy, what you can't buy, where you can drive, where you can't once you get into this system. UBI is the bait, it is the carrot that they're handing you to get into the central bank digital currency system. Believe me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks. Now, another thing, let me just throw this in here. So we already know, because we've reviewed it over the last couple of days, that the Biden administration, okay, The Biden administration put a test pilot into place for universal basic income under the child tax credit. All right. And these technocrats were cheering it on. We're cheering it on. And on the other side, the guy who you think you want back, Donald Trump, he put a test pilot into place for universal basic income under COVID land, the high school theater production, which was the stimulus check or the stimulus checks, I should say. And the technocratic transhumanists cheered that on. So both Trump and Biden, 
uh, push forward with universal basic income. Now, you could tell me Donald Trump was tricked and he was fooled. He had no choice. Fauci and Redfield and Burks tied him up with Burks's scarf and they tortured him. And they made him go out there and push the jab. And they made him go out there and push the stimulus checks. They made him go out there and push the lockdowns. Whatever it may be. Okay, so he was tricked. He was beaten. He was tortured. Whatever. He did it. All right? He did it. So Trump is on board with this UBI. Biden is on board with the UBI. At least their administrations. And then you have all these other folks that we're talking about on board with UBI. But the basis of this grows out of Technocracy Incorporated 100 years ago. Let's continue with the Guardian.com article. It says, UBI tech elites don't agree on exactly how to implement a basic income. What they do agree on uh, emphatically is why we need a basic income in the first place. In the very near future, they believe breakthroughs in robotics and artificial intelligence will automate many professions out of existence. The gap between rich and poor will grow sharply as millions of people won't be able to find work. A universal basic income will offer those people a way to meet their basic needs in an economy that has rendered them permanently redundant. Now, I found some other articles talking about this, folks, and it's quite interesting because in here they're actually pretty blunt. And for those of you out there who think you're secure because you have a worthwhile college degree and are in a profession that would be insulated They're talking about replacing uh, tax accountants, uh, lawyers, doctors, all types of things with artificial intelligence and robotics. So you are on the chopping block as well. It goes on to say the vision of the future makes a few assumptions. You know what? Let let me just share this personal story with you because this is interesting. When I lived in Hendersonville, Tennessee, suburb outside of uh, Nashville, in my former marriage, my neighbor was a dentist. He owned a small dentist office that he took over, purchased from, inherited from his father. And so he was the sole dentist, and then he had a secretary and a couple of assistants. He had a wife who did not work. She ran the home, and he had four boys, four young boys, I think 10 and under at the time. And so this guy was living it up, folks. He was living it up. He had a boat. He had a couple of big Suburbans, uh, payments on those, and everything else. And so when COVID Land, the high school theater production kicked off, all right, and our photography studio that I owned with my ex-wife, literally all the bookings for a year just canceled people were freaked out i said holy crap what are we going to do i was producing a conservative uh show at the time uh we were in early stages of that about a year in. it was generating revenue but not enough to completely float all of our monthly expenses and so i didn't want to put our our um you know, house into debt. I didn't want to take on debt. So I said, holy crap, what am I going to do? And my background is in, you know, marketing and web development and everything. And I knew nobody wanted that. And then I also had produced corporate entertainment for many years and that all came to a halt. So I said, oh crap, what am I going to do? And I've told the story here. I ended up going and doing uh, Instacart gig work because that was booming at the time and I was able to bring in some decent money. So about a month into COVID land, the high school theater production, I run into my neighbor 
And he says to me, uh, dude, what are you doing for money? I said, well, why? What happened? He said, I had to close my dentist's office. You know, the American Dental Association told us we had to shut down. I don't want to lose my insurance. Uh, the state of Tennessee had told them to shut down. And so this guy looked really worried. Now, you never know. Somebody like that could be making $150,000, $250,000 a year, which could go a long way down there in Hendersonville, Tennessee. But all of a sudden, you don't have money coming in. And if you've got a $2,500 mortgage, you've got you know uh, two $800 notes on your Suburban. So all of a sudden, there's $4,100. I don't know. You could have a boat payment for the boat, another $1,000. So all of a sudden, $5,000 a month in bills. And God only knows what the credit card bills are. Then on top of it, he's got four boys. They were doing sports and theater and art, all these extracurricular activities. And then he had to feed them because they were all home and not in school. So you could have $10,000 a month in overhead just to run your household. And if all of a sudden your dentist's office is closed, you get a couple months into that, you could end up upside down if you weren't prepared for a situation like this. So he starts asking me how much I'm making going out and doing Instacart. This guy was getting ready to go out. Next thing I know, I saw him sell his boat. He started listing stuff on Facebook Marketplace. So there you go, folks. It goes to show you. Even someone like a dentist, when they put these policies into place, they can squeeze you out of work, and the next thing you know, you're holding out your hand for universal basic income. He was super happy when the stimulus check started rolling out with the four boys. So think about it, folks. When we listen to this stuff today, because a lot of people have gotten back into the mindset that we're back to so-called normal, they forget what happened two years ago and how easily the government did that. So just think about it. Just think about it. That's why it's best to understand what's going on so that you can actually start to prepare for when they do the next lockdown, when they do the next scamdemic, when they do the next cyber attack or the electric grid going out, whatever it may be, you are prepared for that situation. It goes on to say this vision of the future makes a few assumptions. One is that unemployment and economic misery are technological phenomena. Tech's universal basic income advocates often make this point explicitly, pointing to the past three decades of stagnating medium wages, uh, median wages and a widening wealth gap as proof that technology creates inequality and that accelerating technology is likely to create even more. It's an interpretation with broad credibility often repeated in the pages of The Economist and in the conference halls of Davos. That's the World Economic Forum, ladies and gentlemen. So you have the technologists that are the ones developing the technology, just like you had the scientists, the engineers, and the technologists going back 100 years ago taking responsibility for creating the industrial era boom, right? And then telling you the solution was to allow them to run the whole system and turn everyone into equal beings by giving everyone these energy certificates. And then at the same time, you had a parallel movement of the eugenicists. Those were the progressive era. Uh, that's, again, late 1800s through the 1920s and 30s. The progressive era economists saying they wanted to force sterilize people, uh, chemically castrate them, basically, and then lock them into cages to stop them from producing.
So they create the problem, which is technology. Yeah, it was the industrial era. Now you can say technology has brought uh, billions of people out of poverty. I See, I don't buy that argument. One day I'm going to lay that all out here on the show. Um, the idea is that they defined what poverty is, folks. So if you were living on a homestead, producing your own food, they would consider you to be poor because you weren't making $30,000, dollars $100,000 of their monopoly money, their banker currency. So you're poor when, in fact, you were actually much wealthier than you could ever be with their monopoly money because you owned a piece of land and you produced your own food. You didn't need to interact with them. You didn't need to be part of the central banking system. All right. So that's what they're talking about here. They're driving you into this system uh, by creating more technology and today more artificial intelligence and robotics that's driving you out of the workforce, just like the technologist, just like the eugenicists of the old of 100 years ago, put laws into place like minimum wage as they admitted to for the purpose of driving folks out of the workforce to deem them to be unemployable, to then call them unfit, then call them feeble-minded, and then chemically castrate them. So what's happening today is the same technologists are creating more technology, more artificial intelligence to drive you further out of the workforce, and then they're going to deem you to be unemployable, all right, as Yuval Noah Harari, King philosopher the World Economic Forum calls you, you know, a useless human, a hackable animal. They are doing this to you to drive you out of the workforce, then say you're unemployable because you were replaced by AI and robotics that they created. And their solution is they're going to give you universal basic income that will be delivered via a programmable, controllable, expiring central bank digital currency that will be tracked at all times. See, once they deem you to be unemployable and they give you money, you are now a ward of the state in, in much different terms than we have ever thought about before because they are rendering you to be useless. Remember Yuval Noah Harari? He was asked what's going to happen, with, what are we going to do with all these people that don't work, can't work, can't keep up with the constant changing of technology? And he said, we'll give them video games and drugs and kind of laughed about it. Well, look at the other side. We have the VR headsets, the AR headsets connected up to the metaverse. We're giving out psychedelic drugs now. All part of it, folks, it all ties together. So you can see here that the folks that are creating the problem with more technology, more artificial intelligence are now offering the solution, which is to turn you into a ward of the state, holding out your hand to them. Of course, in this case, at this time in history, they won't be putting cash into your hand. They'll be transferring CBDC programmable tokens into the rice-sized microchip that they embed between your index finger and your thumb, right in that little fleshy section, folks. And I'll show you in a minute. We'll Google this all over the place. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's actually being done. People are getting that done right now getting this microchip put inside their hand. Wow, the tables have turned. For we conspiracy theorists, ladies and gentlemen, we have become the true futurist, the true truth tellers of the modern age because everything that people like myself and Mike Moore, Maria Albanese, and others have been talking about for many years is all right out there in the open and it's all completely 
normal. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. I'm your host. I'm your leader. I'm your friend. Because we are telling you the truth here at the Dusty Gold Standard, folks. I want to show you. I just pulled up on the screen. We'll take a short break from that article for a moment. I pulled up on the screen. So I I just want to show you this for people that, that don't know. You just go over to Google here, all right, and type in hand microchip payment. And I know some of you are going to say, why are you using Google? Use DuckDuckGo. Use this. Use that. I just use Google. When I need to find other documents, I'll look at other places. But everything is tracked anyway. I just use Google. All right. For the show, because I have to use Google Docs and I have to use Google Spreadsheets. And so I have to use all this stuff that's been tied together. And I just don't have, uh, I would have to take four or five days off of everything, stop the show to rebuild my little business infrastructure that I've been using for 12 years. And unfortunately, I'm tied into Google. So I'm over here at Google and I research hand microchip payment. And so look at this right here. Uh, Top article, BBC, April 2022, the microchip implants that let you pay with your hand. You can now get a payment chip injected beneath your skin, turning you into a human bank card. We have foxbusiness.com, April 19, 2022. Hand-implanted microchip could change contactless payments. Hand-implanted microchip could change contactless payments. The implant process, which the company claims is safe, costs $299. Fox8.com, April 17, 2022. No more wallet. Hand implant allows people to pay with chip. The implanted inside a person's hand and use as one tap a credit card for payment. You go over here. I mean, there's all types of articles, folks. This is Fox 5, New York. Fox 10. Oh, this is Newsweeks. You can now get a payment chip implanted in your hand. The company called uh, Walletmore is selling microchips the size of a small safety pin that is implanted under the skin of the individual's hand. Let's just click on this. Right here, Polish-British company is offering individuals the opportunity to receive a uh, subcutaneous implant inside the hand that is capable of making payments like any credit card or digital payment. The company Walletmore is selling microchips the size of a safety pin, and they're 200 bucks, folks. According to the company, more than 200 individuals have already received the microchip, and Walletmore believes it's because people do not want to worry about losing their wallets or getting their bank cards stolen. A national study conducted by Biostat found that more than 72% of Poles worried about having their wallet or cards stolen or lost. Nearly 47% also said they would receive an implant if it was completely free. 
47%. I don't believe there's 47% of Polish people overall that would do that, but it's got a little uh, picture here of the hand with kind of an x-ray circle, and it shows this rice-sized grain stuck between the fleshy part between your thumb and your index finger. And so I'm not going to go through all this, folks, but this is the point here. Uh, here we go. The idea of a microchip implantation is nothing new, with some people in Sweden seeking to receive microchips containing COVID-19 vaccination records. But this is the first case in which a microchip is used to make payments. So I'm going back to Google, and we've got a British microchip implant takes hand swipe payments, uh, paying with your hand using a microchip. A tech company will implant payment chip into your hand, all this stuff. And, like, let's look at the Google questions. Who makes contactless payment chips? These chips have the standard eight contact pads on the front of the module and two contactless. uh, Okay, yeah. So this company, these are the uh, contactless payment pads. They're also involved in these chips as well. Uh, How do I scan my body for a microchip? People are asking all types of questions on here. So anyway, here's the interesting part. Let me just bring this up. I mean, that was interesting, but let me bring this up as well. So I had done a bunch of research last year. Uh, Actually, no, I think it was this year. Might have been March. So my wife had a significant amount of money stolen out of her savings account. Uh, I've mentioned it before on the show. And actually, I'm going to do a couple of episodes on how to beat the banks and get your money back because we went through some serious, serious battles with City to get the money back. And if I didn't have my mother, who had worked in the fraud department at City, explain to me how to work this up the chain, and if I didn't know Mike Moore, who gave me some tips, he used to work with City, I wouldn't have been able to get this done. Anyway, I had done a bunch of research. I was trying to figure out how they were able to swipe her information. And so I ended up not on the dark web, but on some pretty seedy uh, forums on the Internet. And I was reading all about these scanning devices that these biohackers make to scan RFID chips. So inside of your modern credit card, your hackless credit card or your debit card, there's the chip. And I see old people at the grocery store all the time. They think it's cool that they can tap their card on the little uh, credit card scanner or where you plug your chip in. And so you tap your card with the RFID chip. I disabled mine, by the way. I broke it a long time ago. I didn't like it because I had read that they could track you anywhere you go by the RFID chip in some of the cameras and sensors they put inside City. So I smashed it with a hammer. So I insert my card. Uh, But they make these uh, scanners, these biohackers. For a couple hundred bucks, I could make a scanner, and I can go into, let's say, a self-checkout area of a grocery store, and I can have my scanner in my backpack, or you could put it in your, your wife's purse or whatever, and you get close to people. Now, some of the older technology, you'd have to actually bump into people to lift that data, and what happens is the RFID chip will actually transfer the payment data over to this little scanner device that you have, and you can lift all this information. Well, there were biohackers making these to be able to pick up data from like 10, 15 feet away. So basically, you go back to your card now, and you have this recorder, and you sucked all the RFID data out of 5, 10, 25, 50 people, whatever, 
depending on how long you were hanging out in that self-checkout area. And then you can use that information to make purchases online, or you can get blank debit cards and have them printed up with that data on those. And so if you read about this from the cybersecurity side, they will tell you that every time you tap that chip, it recreates sort of a new code. Well, the biohackers figured that out, and it actually doesn't work. So you're going to go get this chip put in your hand, be tracked everywhere, all the time, all your spending habits. And uh, it's probably not secure on top of it, even though one of the major selling points is they're going to tell you is that this is highly secure. So there you go, folks. We talk about microchips. It's all right there. People like you, people like me have been talking about this for years, and we'd be laughed at by our friends. You know, well, are you going to put your Alex Jones tinfoil hat on? How about you wrap the uh, tinfoil around your hand now, you idiot, so that people can't steal your payment information? I mean, the microchips are here, folks. So you got Elon Musk rolling out the brain chip in the next couple of months. He is just a public version of the government of DARPA, the Brain Initiatives Project, to install these brain-machine interfaces inside of humans. And now you have the rice-sized microchip that idiots are lining up for to have put inside their hand. All right, so all very real, all here, ladies and gentlemen. So solution, avoid it. Because you're not going to stop it. So avoid it and just say no. Just say no. That's solution number one. All right. It says here, we're back to the Guardian.com article. Uh, We ended with uh, its interpretation with broad credibility, often repeated in the pages of The Economist and in the conference halls of Davos, World Economic Forum. It says, yet it's also entirely wrong. Central to the story of technological inequality is the idea of skills biased technical change, SBTC, the theory that technology, by automating middle-income jobs, splits the workforce into high-skilled, high-wage workers and low-skilled, low-wage workers. This polarization fuels inequality since elite workers reap an ever-growing share of the rewards, right? So the polarization fuels inequality. So What have we seen over the last, I don't know, since as long as I've been paying attention to politics, let's say 2007 is really when I got involved, so 15 years, it is always this uh, vision that they create, that the elites are screwing the little guy. Well, they are, but it's always the elites that are the ones selling the story. If you remember back to the days of Barack Obama when he was running for president in 2007, he would go out on the campaign stuff and he would say, you know, the 99% versus the 1%. And so we're going to help you. We're going to make things equal. But what he never really admitted to was he was the 1%. The 1% gladly take the slings and arrows in order to sell you further into a slave system. They've done this since the beginning of mankind, folks. It operates like a cult where you are supposed to believe you are special and these guys are talking directly to you. This is how people fall for the Trump scam. This is how people are falling for the Elon Musk scam. This is how people are falling for the Kanye scam. They just dangle out these billionaires to pretend to be your friends and tell you that they're going to help you fight the man when they are the man. They are the man goes on to say, 
But economic data suggests there's no evidence that this is actually taking place. If it were true, you'd expect to see well-educated workers using their skills advantage to bid up wages. Instead, wage growth has stagnated since the 1990s for workers of all education levels. Workers in IT generally considered the quintessential high-skilled field earn about as much today in inflation-adjusted dollars as they did in the late 1990s. So if technology isn't to blame for inequality, then what is? What is? It says elite-led globalization, the transformation of the tax code, the growth of the financial sector, and above all, the collapse of working-class power since the 1970s. Inequality isn't the inevitable byproduct of technological change. If it were, other industrialized countries should show levels of inequality comparable to the United States, and they don't. The United States has far higher levels of income and wealth inequality than Sweden, and nobody would call Sweden a technologically undeveloped country ladies and gentlemen it's a very interesting article article we're going to finish reviewing this and then i'm going to get into the biden administration and show you a little further on what they are working on as far as the rollout of universal basic income and central bank digital currency and then tomorrow i decided we're going to wrap this up we're going to finish up with consensus and then i'm going to move into some of the video panel discussions because wide awake jim told me he's going to be referencing some of those during his appearances probably next week i know he's on a business trip so he's going to try to squeeze them in we'll see if he can if not there's a couple other topics i have to cover and then we'll get back to this stuff when Wide Awake Jim comes on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. And we're going to continue here with the Guardian.com article. It says what Sweden does have, however is stronger unions and a stronger welfare state. This means that when technological change does happen, raising labor productivity, at least some of the gains of that greater productivity are passed on to workers instead of going to the owners of capital in the form of profits. This isn't the case in the United States where productivity has grown over the past several decades, but wages have flatlined. From 1973 to 2014, net productivity grew 72.2%. Over the same period, the hourly wage of the median worker rose a meager 8.7%. Meanwhile, corporate profits soared. Technology transforms production, but power and politics determine how the dividends are distributed. For that reason, weak working class organization tracks inequality far more reliably than technological innovation. 
as the historian Colin Gordon has observed, labor's share of income, quote, has fallen most rapidly in those sectors where union presence withered, not where computers displaced labor, end quote. The theory of technological inequality may fail, but it does serve a function. It absolves the elite of responsibility for the growing gap between rich and poor. It also makes capitalism look meritocratic. Technology, by automating routine tasks, has enriched those exceptional few who are smart enough to perform tasks that are too complex or creative to automate while impoverishing the rest. The question not asked enough is, is the utopia of the imagined future a place we would actually want to live? Is it, folks? Do you want to live in this technological, technate utopia? It says, for most of us, I suspect the answer is no. Even if every kind of work is abolished by automation, with robots raising our children, growing our crops, and cleaning our teeth, there will be political decisions to be made about what kind of society we want. In the world imagined by the UBI tech elite, those decisions would inevitably be made by the people who own the robots. In other words, them. See, folks... This is an article from 2016, really is relevant today. But it draws from all the research we've done here at the Dustin Gold Standard on the history of technocracy, those thousands of pages of documents I got my hands on. This is why I keep saying, not only is the future of the technocracy inevitable, we're living in a technocracy right now. The scientists, the engineers, the technologists, the Silicon Valley fat cats, they run the whole system. And technocracy is a culture. It's a culture. It's a culture of technology. We just gladly embrace it. And we're okay with being spied on and tracked and letting uh, Apple scan our face to be able to open up our phone. We're okay with all of that. Goes on to say, at best, this might resemble a benevolent dictatorship where a small class of, quote, wealth creators, end quote, manufactures and maintains the machines that make it possible for everybody else to lead workless lives. They'd give us allowance to live on and keep the rest for themselves. And as I've explained to you, again, that comes out of technocracy, where they're going to run the entire system as one giant machine. It needs to be run from a position of science and engineering. And so, as I've brought up to you before, and I had not read this article at that time, I said, what are we supposed to believe? These people are benevolent dictators. They're going to run all these machines all day long to produce all the goods that we consume, to provide all the services that we utilize uh, for the purpose of then cutting us a check to allow us to sleep at home in our bed all day or eat bonbons or plug into the metaverse and play Grand Theft Auto 92. I mean, that's really what they're going to do? No, that's not what they're going to do. It's not what they're going to do because you have to bring eugenics into the mix where they literally started sterilizing the people they deemed to be unfit, unemployable, and feeble-minded. This is the system we're in. I mean, I mentioned it the other day. Somebody sent me a video, uh, I think it was in Canada, where they're talking about being able to murder your own child up to one year after it's born if it's deemed to have mental or physical issues. You can just have it euthanized. Come on, folks. It's so evil. 
It's so evil what this system is, and it's all right in front of you. This is all open source intelligence. You know, so you need to understand this if you want to be able to live around it. The more I read about it, the more I say, well, it it is inevitable. It's coming. The people in charge are moving it forward, and 90% of the folks walking around in the grocery store are right on board with this stuff. It goes on to say, if you believe that wealth is essentially a private product produced by individuals, then such an arrangement might seem fair. But in a modern economy, wealth is produced by society as a whole, and nowhere is this fact more apparent than in the case of the tech industry. Ever since the United States military funded Silicon Valley into existence after the Second World War, the tech industry has fed on a steady stream of public goods. And and I've covered that on the show, that the United States military funded Silicon Valley. We tied that into Operation Paperclip when we brought over 1,500 Nazi scientists and engineers into this country almost immediately after World War II ended. And we launched programs like MKUltra, where we allowed Sidney Gottlieb, the chief chemist of the CIA, to be trained by the Nazis and the Japanese torturers and then run mind control experiments. We were told for 10 years, I say it never ended, where he was literally allowed to set up illegal prison camps in East Asia and in Europe and torture and kill people. And right here in the United States, he set up fake foundations under the CIA to send out LSD and other psychedelics to prisons and universities, institutions and hospitals and test them on folks without them knowing. Right. So there you have it. Silicon Valley funded right after World War II. And they're in charge of the country. They're in charge of the economy. This is a technocracy. So it goes on to say those goods might, uh, by government research, uh, the, uh, those goods might be government research, mine for profitable inventions, or the contents of your Gmail inbox and Facebook feed, mine for advertising revenue. What matters is they're free, and they're free because we give them away. If the robots ever arrive, their arrival will be bankrolled by our taxes, our attention, our data. Under these circumstances, a basic income would be the crumbs left by the bully who steals your sandwich. Better to keep the sandwich for ourselves. Better to own the robots collectively and allocate the surplus democratically than leave society's wealth in the hands of its luckiest members. It says, uh, now, now, this is... um, Okay, so that's where that article ends, actually, okay? And so I find it to be uh, quite interesting, right? There was a lot of nuggets that we pull out of this article, folks. Very important to understand this. So what they're advocating for is a system where we all own the robots. We're not just getting handed the crumbs. But I don't agree, and I wanted to point this out, with the author, the technology isn't necessarily the issue. I think it's a combination of what the author presents combined with with technology but the point here is that these billionaires these billionaire technocrats have engineered have rigged a system that we all live in now and the solution is going to be that they're going to hand out they're going to hand out 
this universal basic income, but it's going to be tied to central bank digital currency, which, as we pointed out to you, is programmable and it's expirable, right? It's not like dollars in your pocket. All right, it's like getting up points from the gas station and you have to use them within a certain amount of time, which completely stops. And I pointed this out to someone on Twitter last night I was having a back and forth conversation with. It totally prevents you from building wealth. And that is all part of the original technocracy documents going back to 1919. There is no wealth allowed in the system, only those at the top. The technocrats are allowed to be wealthy. Everyone else has to be equally poor. All right, folks. Now, let's move on from this. We're back at this WhiteHouse.gov paper that we pulled up yesterday. Technical possibilities for a U.S. central bank digital currency. And this was uh, published September 16th. 2022. Again, this is by Dr. Alondra Nelson, head of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, and Alexander McGillivray, Principal Deputy United States Chief Technology Officer, and Nick Murata, Policy Advisor. So we went through a little bit of this yesterday, and what I'm going to show you now are some of the documents referenced in this article. And we showed it to you because we had found an article from a year earlier talking about how the Biden administration was going to test out universal basic income under the child tax credit, but that CBDC was not going to be on the table. A year later, they start rolling out all of their papers on central bank digital currency coming out of the White House. Now, this is not Joe Biden, obviously, who's moving this forward. This is all part of the WWE circus. This stuff is all orchestrated, folks. All right, let's just pick up where we left off. It says, notably, these benefits and risks might vary significantly based on how the CBDC system is designed and deployed. That is why Executive Order 14067, ensuring responsible development of digital assets, placed the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design and deployment options of a United States central bank digital currency. The executive order directed the Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP, in consultation with other federal departments and agencies to submit the president a technical evaluation for a potential U.S. CBDC. And so let me see, folks. We have this. All right. So this is it here. Uh, This is at federalregister.gov and this is ensuring responsible development of digital assets a presidential document by the executive office of the president on march 13th 2022 it says by the authority vested in me as president by the constitution and the laws of the united states of america it is hereby ordered as follows and this is executive order 14067 and then it goes through section one policy I'm just going to read a little bit of this, not all of it. It says, advances in digital and distributed ledger technology for financial services have led to dramatic growth in markets for digital assets with profound implications for the protection of consumers, investors, and businesses, including data, privacy, and security, financial stability, and systematic risk, crime, national security, the ability to exercise human rights, financial inclusion, and equality, and 
energy demand and climate change. All right, so changing our money system to central bank digital currency will resolve all of those issues, don't you know? It goes on to say in November 2021, non-state-issued digital assets reached a combined market capitalization of $3 trillion, up from approximately $14 billion in early November 2016. Monetary authorities globally are also exploring and in some cases introducing central bank digital currencies. All right. So then this document, and I'm flipping through this for the video folks over at pain.tv slash gold. This is very long, ladies and gentlemen. Very long document with, what are we up to? Section 6, Section 8. We're over here now at Section 9, 10. So there's 10 sections in here, all very long. Again, this is from the Biden administration, from the Office of the President, Executive Order 14067, ensuring responsible development of digital assets. So we're going to go back over here to the technical possibilities for U.S. Central Bank digital currency, and we're going to go through the other documents that are referenced in here. So we have the uh, policy objectives for potential United States CBDC system. We have environmental concerns raised by some privately issued digital assets. That's about uh, how much energy they're going to use to run the computers. You have 18 technical design choices. uh, And then we get into already financially vulnerable communities at greater risk. And then they talk about the president's directive. So I'm going to show you some of the documents that actually come out of this particular document because you're going to see how far advanced this is from the governmental side of this. So we've talked about technocracy. We've talked about Silicon Valley. We've talked about the technologists. We talked about all the people that are backing the idea of universal basic income. We've talked about CBDC from a uh, technological standpoint. We've talked about Bank for International settlements, International Monetary Fund, United Nations, World Economic Forum, and the World Banks. And now I just want to show you what's coming out of the White House. And I'm going to wrap this up today in the next 30 minutes. We're not going to go too deep into this because uh, there's just so many different rabbit holes you can go down, and I don't think it's all important. It's just important to see there is movement coming out of the United States government to move this stuff forward. At the same time, we know that the Federal Reserve is running a test on CBDC right now on the RLN network that we explained here at the Dust and Gold Standard, and that's in partnership with 11 or 12 private commercial banks, and regulated non-banks, including TD Bank uh, and some others like Citi. And they're working right now with this RLN network to test out central bank digital currency. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back as we look into the mind of Joe Biden. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. And I am Dustin Gold. Getting ready to go introduce Willie G, folks. Willie G to Santa Claus. 
It'll be his first time. Hopefully he doesn't freak out, folks. Hopefully he doesn't freak out. If he does, then we know he understands the scam. And that is a a good thing, ladies and gentlemen, to have a kid who recognizes the scams and schemes. All right, let's just uh, run through this real quick because I didn't finish it yesterday. This is the September 16, 2022 technical possibilities for U.S. Central Bank digital currency. And we went up through this part. I'll just speed read it for you, just to refresh your memory. It says, today, OSTP is publishing its report, Technical Evaluation for a U.S. Central Bank Digital Currency System, which lays out policy objectives for a potential United States Central Bank Digital Currency System and analyzes key technical design choices for a U.S. CBDC system. The report also estimates the technical feasibility of building a CBDC minimum viable product and describes how a U.S. CBDC system might affect federal operations. The report makes recommendations on how to prepare the federal government for a U.S. CBDC system. Importantly, the report does not make any assessments or recommendations about whether the United States should pursue a CBDC nor does it make any decisions regarding particular design choices for a potential U.S. CBDC system. But you do understand, they're not doing this for shits and giggles, folks. This is being moved forward. All right, that's why they're researching it. It says, at last year's Summit for Democracy, President Biden spoke about the importance of using technology to advance democracies, to lift people up, not to hold them down. If the United States launches its own CBDC, it should advance this democratic vision. Oh, yes. So democratic, ladies and gentlemen, that they're going to give you money that's programmable, trackable, and uh, has the ability to expire. It goes on to say this report includes the Biden-Harris administration's policy objectives for a potential U.S. CBDC system, building on priorities outlined in the executive order. For example, these objectives state that a U.S. CBDC system should expand equitable access to the financial system preserve the role of physical cash, and only collect data that is strictly necessary. Right, that is strictly necessary. Well, to the people who want to control the data, all the data is necessary. It goes on to say they also note that a U.S. CBDC should be sustainable, avoiding the environmental concerns raised by some privately issued digital assets, and they note a U.S. CBDC should be functional and provide a good customer experience so that all Americans can truly benefit, right? So that all Americans don't realize they're locked into an eternal slave system. It goes on. These policy objectives provide a framework by which to evaluate different design choices for a U.S. CBDC system. The 18 technical design choices in this report are analyzed with respect to these policy objectives so that policymakers can see how policy objectives manifest themselves deep in the weeds of technical design choices. And when they're talking about technical design choices, they're talking about whether whether it'll run on RLN, whether it'll sit on top of Ethereum, whether consensus will be involved with building it. This is what they're talking about, folks. goes on to say, good technology policy often requires getting specific about the technology being discussed and the policy priorities being pursued. This is particularly true for CBDCs, which can be challenging to evaluate 
without being precise about the design choices underpinning the CBDC system. As the United States contemplates potential development of a U.S. CBDC, this report tries to add specificity to the choices that policymakers could make about the details of the underlying technology, as well as the overarching policy priorities. Now, does this not sound like they are moving forward? Why else would they put this out? Why do they have all these committees, these panels, and these research groups working on it? It says, while a United States CBDC would be a monetary instrument like cash, it is important to note that it would also be a large technology initiative. Over the past two decades, the federal government has rolled out a number of large technology initiatives, learning valuable lessons in the process. Many of these lessons can help ensure that the United States has sufficient technological infrastructure capacity and expertise to build and maintain a CBDC system. It will be important for technical experts to work closely with experts in money and payment systems to ensure that a CBDC system serves broader economic goals while delivering a good customer experience. Now, I've told you consensus is involved with Visa right now, who already has 80 million merchants geared up who would be able to accept CBDC. They also have, you know, I don't probably hundreds of millions of customers walking around with Visa and printed credit and or debit cards, and those would be able to transfer CBDC as well. It goes on to say, following a recommendation in the report, OSTP and the National Science Foundation will lead an interagency effort to develop a national digital assets research and development agenda. This agenda will place a high priority on advancing research on topics like cryptography that could be helpful to CBDC experimentation and development at the Federal Reserve. This agenda will also cover topics less related to CBDCs, for example, working with consumer protection experts. It might support innovations that increase financial inclusion and equity in the digital assets ecosystem without placing already financially vulnerable communities at greater risk. So as you see... They're bringing all the players to the table. This is how they're going to create buy-in because they need to allow the grifters to grift in order to push policy forward. So the grifters, like in the climate change hustle, the grifters, like in universal basic income, and the grifters right here in CBDC will be allowed to grift as long as it advances the big picture. So the grifters think short-term, ladies and gentlemen. They just want to get a cut of the action. So they bring them to the table and they tell them consumer protection, blah, blah, blah. All the grifters come in and they're going to be able to make money while they advance central bank digital currency. It says this uh, R&D agenda will take a whole-of-government approach consistent with the president's directive to place the highest urgency on R&D efforts related to CBDCs as well as the fiscal year 2024 budget priority that requests that the federal departments and agencies collaborate on critical and emerging technologies, including financial technologies. This will help bring the federal government's resources and expertise to bear on hard questions related to digital assets. This report helps advance the mission of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, which is to maximize the benefits of science and technology to advance health, prosperity, security, environmental 
equality, and justice for all Americans. The American people deserve to fully benefit from technological possibilities like a United States CBDC while being protected from the harms it could bring. We look forward to continue advancing President Biden's priorities on digital assets. All right, now, just referenced in this document alone, I'm going to show you. We have what I just pulled up before at the Federal Register. This is Executive Order 14067, Ensuring Responsible Development of Digital Assets. I read a little bit from that. You have this 58-page a PDF, which we're going to look at momentarily. This is published in September 2022. This is technical evaluation for a U.S. central bank digital currency system. Right out of the White House, a 58-page PDF, very professionally done. Then you have written on September 8th, 2022. This is at whitehouse.gov. This is fact sheet, climate and energy implications of crypto assets in the United States. Then we have at whitehouse.gov, published on March 2022, the path toward responsible and equitable equitable digital assets innovation. All right, and then we have this document, a nine-page PDF letter, which is the Executive Office of the President, and this is a memorandum for the heads of executive departments and agencies, and the subject is multi-agency research and development priorities for the fiscal year 2024 budget, and in here, they get into all of the financial technology, fintech. All right, so they talk about that. So when we get back, I just want to show you a little bit on this technical evaluation for a U.S. central bank digital currency system. And then you can tell me, Dustin, don't worry. They're not moving this forward. Of course they are, folks. All the pieces are in place. All hands are on deck. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne. Dot TV slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. It's going to be a busy week here, ladies and gentlemen, at the Dustin Gold Standard. We have a lot of stuff to review. We're going to get into those panel discussions I keep talking about and then uh, have Wide Awake Jim on to bring in all the Bank for International Settlements documents. I, I'm not even kidding. I think he dumped 200 documents on me. Like, what the hell are we going to do with all this stuff? But apparently he has a plan. There's a method to his madness, ladies and gentlemen. All right, up on the screen, I have the technical evaluation for United States Central Bank Digital Currency System, published in September 2022, so a few months ago. I'm just going to read a little bit from this. It says about this document, Executive Order 14067, which I had pulled up before, directed the Office of Science and Technology Policy to produce a technical evaluation to facilitate and support the introduction of a central bank digital currency system in the United States, should one be proposed. This report lays out the policy objectives for United States CBDC system 
and proceeds to analyze technical design choices for United States CBDC system with respect to those policy objectives. This report also estimates the feasibility of building a United States CBDC minimum viable product and assesses how a U.S. CBDC system may impact federal processes. This report makes recommendations on how to operate the United States government for a United States CBDC system, but it does not make an assessment or recommendation about whether a U.S. CBDC system should be pursued. All right. And then it goes into about the Office of Science and Technology Policy, what these guys are involved with. It gets into about the interagency process. All right. Then it gets into the table of context here. And I'll just show you, they get into... uh, Transport, these are participants, transport layers, interoperability. They get into the governance, permissioning, access tiering, identity privacy, uh, remediation. They get into security on cryptography and secure hardware. They get into transactions, that would be signatures, transaction privacy, offline transactions, transaction programmability which we'll talk a little bit about tomorrow. They get into data, data model, ledger history, adjustments, uh, fungibility, holding limits, adjustments on transactions, adjustments on balances, all types of stuff, folks. It just keeps going and going and going. So let's just look at the introduction here. It says, the central bank digital currency is a digital form of a country's sovereign currency. Again, this is straight out of the White House. It says, if the United States issued a CBDC, this new type of central bank money may provide a range of benefits for American consumers, investors, and businesses. For example, a United States central bank digital currency might enable transactions that are more efficient and less expensive, particularly for cross-border funds transfers. However, there are also potential risks to consider. A U.S. CBDC might affect everything ranging from the stability of the financial system to the protection of sensitive data. Recognizing these potential upsides and downsides, the Biden-Harris administration is committed to further exploring the implications and options for issuing a CBDC. And you know in their mind the uh, risks don't matter because your sensitive data means nothing to them. They just don't want to run on the banks uh, while they're talking about this. All right, So they need a smooth transition unless they want to orchestrate a run on the banks, which would then be part of what ushers in the new CBDC system. It says, on March 9, 2022, President Biden signed Executive Order 14067, ensuring responsible development of digital assets, placing the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design and deployment options of a U.S. central bank digital currency. Executive Order 14067 further directed the federal government to, quote, prioritize timely assessments of potential benefits and risks under various designs to ensure the United States remains a leader in the international financial system, end quote. To help advance this directive, Section 5B2 of Executive Order 14067 ordered the Director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, that's OSTP, and the Chief Technology Officer of the United States, in consultation with the Secretary of Treasury, the Chair of the Federal Reserve, and the heads of other relevant agencies to submit to the President a technical evaluation for United States Central Bank Digital Currency System, should one 
should one be proposed, right? Should one. So they went through all this because they're not going to do it. Come on, folks. You're smarter than that. It goes on to say, this report begins by laying out the policy objectives for United States Central Bank digital currency system outlined in Executive Order 14067 and developed in further detail through an interagency process led by the National Economic Council and the National Security Council. These policy objectives reflect the administration's ongoing commitment to develop and use technology in accordance with democratic values. Right. A system of total control is in accordance with democratic values. This report then analyzes the technical design choices for United States CBDC system, focusing on how those choices would impact the policy objectives for United States Central Bank digital currency system. Next, this report estimates the feasibility of building a minimum viable product for a U.S. CBDC system based on hypothetical combinations of technical design choices. Finally, this report assesses how a United States CBDC system may impact federal processes, focuses on cybersecurity and privacy, customer experience, and a social safety net programs. This report concludes by making recommendations on how to prepare the federal government for a United States central bank digital currency system should one be pursued. It recommends that OSTP help advance technology related to CBDCs as part of the CBDC working group outlined in the Department of the Treasury's report on the future of money and payments. It encourages the Federal Reserve to continue its research and experiment on CBDC systems while recommending that the National Science Foundation and OSTP develop a national digital assets research and development R&D agenda to help spur innovation that could support the Federal Reserve's efforts. Uh, Folks, what? What? Okay, they're making recommendations to move us forward into central bank digital currency. That is what they're doing right here. It recommends that OSTP help advance technology related to CBDCs as part of the CBDC working group. Blah, 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 outlined by da, 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 da. So they're recommending moving it forward. Finally, it recommends scaling up relevant technological infrastructure, capacity, and expertise across the federal government to harness benefits and mitigate risks of digital assets. And we're told the federal government is incompetent. That's what the conservatives like to tell us on radio. As legal man of the Quash podcast will point out, they are highly, highly, competent all right they are not incompetent they control everything they're building out this system goes on to say it is also important and the thing is if you don't like the system they can just come to you by gunpoint and force you into the system that's how powerful the federal government is it goes on to say it is also important to briefly note what this report does not do This report does not make any assessments or recommendations about whether a U.S. CBDC should be pursued. Additionally, this report does not make any design choices for a U.S. CBDC system if one were proposed. Instead, it fulfills the mission of EO, Executive Order 14067, 
by providing a timely assessment of potential benefits and risks for a United States CBDC system. So see, they keep telling you they're not making any recommendations about whether this system should be pursued, yet they recommend that OSTP help advance technology related to CBDCs as part of the CBDC working group outlined in the Department of the Treasury's report on the future of money and payments. So they are recommending advancing the technology, but they're not recommending putting the system into place. It says the report encourages the Federal Reserve to continue its research and experimentation on CBDC systems while recommending that the National Science Foundation and OSTP develop a national digital assets research and development agenda to help spur innovation that could support the Federal Reserve's efforts. So they are moving it forward while at the same time, They're saying they're not making any assessments or recommendations about whether U.S. CBDC should be pursued. Well, by directing the Federal Reserve and such to pursue it, they are telling people to pursue it. They're pursuing it. I mean, do you see the outright lies right there, folks? I mean, come on, ladies and gentlemen. It's right there, right in our face, right in our face. Now, in this document here... I want to uh, take a look at something quickly because I've been reviewing it, but I haven't had time to go through all of it yet. So I'm on page 32 here. This is transaction programmability, supported versus non-supported. It says, are transactional level application programming interfaces APIs supported? If so, can they be created in a permissionless manner only by the CBDC authority or somewhere in between? Who defines the API? Is there a governance process to determine API requirements? I just want to read from this quickly. It says, transaction programmability refers to whether broadly third-party developers are able to code rules into a CBDC system such that those rules are executed when the predefined conditions are met. This does not refer to the ability to uniquely identify specific CBDC units and place restrictions on their use for a discussion of that design choice refer to the fungibility design choice. Well, let's take a look at the fungibility, folks. That would be down on page 36 in this document. This is what I find to be so fun. Ladies and gentlemen, so we're looking at page 36 on fungibility. It now says fungibility, fungible versus non-fungible units. Can the CBDC system support non-fungible units? A non-fungible unit is a discrete unit of CBDC that has a unique identifier. For example, a serial code. For example, even though physical dollar bills are often considered fungible, under this definition, a physical dollar bill is a non-fungible object. Each physical dollar is a unique physical object that has a serial number and can be held, destroyed, or exchanged for another unique physical dollar. A CBDC system could support fungible units that are not unique and thus function identically to each other. A CBDC system could also support non-fungible units and thus can enable different processes for their use. A CBDC system could also use both approaches. In a corollary to 
uh, cash as a unit of payment, cash can be serialized. If something is wrong, a participant can take it out of circulation and reprint that note with the same serial number with an annotation of reprint. Fungibility will likely overlap with choices made about storage and the transaction model. Fungibility could be uh, could also impact how CBDC is packaged for offline transactions and how the CBDC system uh, interoperates with other payment systems. Design choice benefits and drawbacks are described below. Fungible units may promote privacy of sensitive financial data. Fungible units are not marked to be uniquely traceable down to the specific CBDC units, potentially increasing the privacy afforded by the CBDC system. This could advance the policy objective of aligning with democratic values. And then it says may promote increased interoperability. Fungible units could be subdivided and exchange with each other as the uniqueness of any specific CBDC unit would not need to be preserved. This could advance the policy objective of ensuring the CBDC system should be appropriately interoperable. And then it gets into um, non-fungible units, holding limits, limits or no limits. This talks about holding limits, refer to limits on how much CBDC any particular person or entity can hold the CBDC system could impose limits on how much any particular entity can hold in CBDC. C, uh, alternatively, the CBDC, uh, man, CBDC, it's a tongue twister at this point, folks. System could not have such limits. The CBDC system could likely enable this functionality if there are mechanisms such as consumer due diligence requirements or costs to prevent entities from creating multiple accounts. All right, so this is really important. I wanted to get into it. Sorry, I'm nerding out on you here, folks. But what this gets into is the programmability, the fungibility, and the limits uh, within the system. And what they're getting to there, and this is why I want to finish going through this document on my own time, what they're getting into is whether or not they're going to be able to program the individual units so that they could prevent you from buying certain things or only being able to buy from certain vendors. So it's good to see I mean, it's not good, but it's good to see that it's actually discussed in the government documents because it proves that they are actually moving towards being able to do that. Now, we've seen this in documents from Bank for International Settlements, World Economic Forum, United Nations, World Bank, International Monetary Fund, and then all the tech companies like Consensus. So they will have the ability to program the money. I just wanted to double check inside of this White House document to see if they were going to discuss that type of technology. Now, this document goes through and assesses various technologies, but it's not making a recommendation yet on exactly which system to use and how it's going to operate. That will be coming at some point in the near future. And remember, folks, we also pulled up the climate and energy implications of crypto assets in the United States, the path toward responsible and equitable digital assets innovation, and this uh, fiscal year 2024 budget, which talks about in here uh, manufacturing and financial technologies and how they're going to be investing in these, focused on artificial intelligence as well. So this is all coming out of the Biden administration. Again, it's quickly advancing. So you have the government, the state, on 
board with advancing technocracy, ladies and gentlemen. No real big surprise, but at least you know it's coming out of there. People ask me to cover Joe Biden. I don't like to do that, but I will cover these executive orders and such when they come out of the White House, when they relate to the big picture where I think we're actually going, folks, into a full-blown state of control, a system of social engineering and the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. Ladies and gentlemen, I am going to a Christmas event with Willie G and my beautiful wife and my fantastic mother-in-law. So I will see you tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, for episode 104. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful evening, whenever it is you are listening. I love you all very much. Merry Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold.